welcome back to the Pave Insight Podcast. There's been a ton of crazy action in the market over the last months, two months, three months. Honestly, it's been it's been quite a wild ride recently, so we're just going to dive right into it. As always, I'm here with my co-founder, Peter Corey, um, and really excited to just kind of dive into what's going on in the markets right now. So I guess where I'd like to start is, I mean, obviously, as I mentioned, things have been a little bit nuts recently, um, and I think, you know, many people have been describing it as a mania. So what I'd love to hear is just kind of, in your words, how would you describe a stock market or general investment market mania? Yeah, it's a good question. A lot of people have different interpretations of it. I read it as something that's steeped in logic. You know, mm-hmm. at, at first it was it made a lot of sense, and it's kind of got taken to the extreme. Sure. Like right now, I mean, you have to understand the upside to stocks has been dependent for years on interest rates staying low. Right, of course. And we had talked about when Biden was coming in, the the concern was that corporate taxes and um, capital gains and personal tax rates could go up. Right, making stocks less attractive. Right, yeah. right. But the hope is that uh, you're going to have low interest rates, fiscal stimulus, mm-hmm. you know, the, the COVID package plus an infrastructure bill, mm-hmm. and we'll worry about taxes later. And, and actually people are saying that's probably isn't going to happen because of the political cycle, the midterm cycle mm-hmm. in 2022. It might not happen until 2023. Mm-hmm. So you have the Fed keeping rates low until 2023. Right. Maybe no taxes until 2023. And you have all the stimulus coming in. Sure. So let's buy stocks. <laughs> right. Which is, which is logical, mm-hmm. but then it gets taken too far. Right. I mean, all market cycles occur when pe- because people think linearly. They think everything is going to continue going up like crazy. Last March, people thought everything was going to go down and you know, we were going to go into a recession and you should never buy another stock. Right. So basically what you're saying is happening is, is people are kind of extrapolating the runway of all these good things happening too long and kind of pricing in that action when in actuality that's not going to keep happening as long as people expect it to keep happening. Exactly. So I'd, I'd love to kind of discuss, you know, obviously you're, you've been trading since what, the, the 80s? Early eighties, actually. Yeah, the early eighties. So you've got you've got about forty years of that under your belt. So obviously there have been other situations like this historically. I'd love to just yeah. hear your perspective on kind of some other times throughout history in, in your work experience when this has happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I got into the market when interest rates actually were uh, there was a coupon on the treasury bond of fifteen and uh, seven eighths, almost sixteen percent. <laughs> and, and that's that's a what so in what period of time is that a 16% return that's, that's a, you could have bought a 30 year bond in 1983 and guaranteed yourself a 16% return every year for 30 years and right now what's that same bond sitting at <laughs> two, two and a half <laughs> that's a big difference yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah <laughs> yeah and then four years later I had something called the 87 crash right um, and then we had a long period of, of fairly consistent growth. We had a recession in 1990 mm-hmm. um, and back-to-back uh, recessions. And, and right before I got, I, I started in the business in 80 and 81. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in 2000, everybody was buying like crazy because Greenspan was keeping rates low because he was scared to death of Y2K. Right, you know I mean? sure. And the, the, all, all, the, all the banking mistakes that were going to happen from the uh, mystical software issue that never came. <laughs> it was going to be Armageddon. So he, sure. he kept rates very low. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they started to talk about raising rates, and everybody said, well, there's, you know, technology, technology stocks were, were fantastic, and, mm-hmm. and they're, not, they're interest rate sensitive. Right. Until they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, they were extrapolating, you know, all the possibilities that these growth companies could, could continue going on forever and, right. and 
in many cases, a lot of those companies weren't burdened by profits. So sure, and they kept on getting bid up. Sure, sure. I mean, it doesn't sound too different from some companies that I can think of that have got that have IPO'd in the last six months. <laughs> the parallels between 1920, I'm sorry, 2020 and 2000 are much stronger than than what happened in, in 2007 mm-hmm. at, at the extreme. Because hmm. in 2007, we're just about to go into a recession, and the overriding theme in the market was all these management buyouts were occurring. Right. So the available number of stocks was shrinking. So people are saying, oh, okay, we have the same amount of money that wants to go into stocks with fewer stocks. Right, demand and supply. <laughs> so therefore, we're going to bid up the prices of these stocks, even though their earnings aren't going to change at all, mm-hmm. because more and more stocks are going to go away. And obviously that didn't happen. Sure. Um, and you get valuations just in too high. You get people in at bad price points. Right. Which is what's going on right now, and we're seeing it right. in, in certain certain manias as well in terms of uh, individual situations. Um, yeah, I but, mean, you're you're seeing companies where there is good long term value, but the fact of the matter is at the current price, that value is that same kind of value is not there. I mean, these are good companies that will have you know significant long term potential, but their price points are frankly too high. Yeah, and and the argument is things are different this time because rates are low. So, mm-hmm. but the fact is. Interest rates are low artificially because you've got the Fed buying $120 billion in securities every month. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, think about that. It's, it's insane. Every month? Every month. And he's saying, he's going, Powell said yesterday he was going to continue doing that until he doesn't have to anymore. <laughs> so people are again saying it's going to happen. Right. Ad infinitum. I mean, until 2023. Right, right. Uh, this is, and so this is why people are, are, are very enthusiastic buying stocks. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and any argument against it gets met with... Well, you've got insane liquidity coming by the Fed, mm-hmm. and you've got low interest rates to compare it to. So what, there's no other alternative. And right. that's what happens. I mean, the, you have the same argument in 89 in the Nikkei. The Nikkei had a 50 PE ratio. I mean, we're high, you know, in the 20s, right. but we're not 50. Yeah, 50 is crazy. And, but everybody was saying back then, well, it's because rates were so low in Japan, because they, mm-hmm. they were very low. Sure. They weren't as low as they are now, but they were low. And um, uh, what happened was, the Nikkei fell 80% over the next 14 years. And that Jeez. was a time in 89, a little fun fact, uh, the land under the Imperial Palace was equal, in Tokyo, was equal to the total amount of real estate in California. I love that, I love that statistic. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. <laughs> so that's a mania, I guess. You can call that a mania. Yeah, I, I would say that's a mania. Also, just for those listening, um, the Imperial Palace in, in, in Tokyo is not that big. <laughs> it's a good amount of land, but it's not that much land. <laughs> it's smaller than California? It's a, it's a lot smaller than California. <laughs> it's a lot smaller than Santa Barbara, which is where we're sitting right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess, I mean, what's kind of your, from a stock market perspective, kind of your takeaway for what, you know, happens over the next six months, year, two years. Yeah, this is the problem with where we are right now because it's clearly a mania. We're going to look back at some point and saying this was obvious, but can we continue rallying? You know, ten, I think maybe ten percent is going to cap it from here over the next couple of months. I mean, but then again, it's a mania. So, like the same argument that people were very smart people were shorting, including Paul Tudor Jones, was shorting the Nikkei way too early with really good reasons. Right, and they got burned. He ended up continuing to reshort it and then he had a home run in 89 on it but but a lot of people stayed short or stayed out right and they felt like idiots right and that and that's a real that's a real problem but how to tell you how quickly some of these things can come off i mean so so you had that took 14 years for, right for, for, to drop 80 percent. sure the nasdaq in 2000 it took two and a half years to go from 5,000 to 1100 wow 
So okay. basically the same drop, but in, in a fraction of the time. Yeah, and in silver, that happened twice. It happened um, in 2011. It, it, it went from like, it took like two and a half years to go from five, went from five to 50 in 2011, mm -hmm. and then two and a half years to go back to five. Wow, okay. And then in 80, which was the real, that's the, you may have heard of the Hunt brothers, they cornered the silver market or tried to. That brought silver from five to 50, and again, two and a half years. Actually, that went down 90%. That went from, from uh, yeah, that went from 50 to 5, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So basically what you're saying is, given where we are right now, it's impossible to say when things are going to take a turn, but when they do take a turn, they could take a turn very quickly and very negatively. Yeah, it's always very fast. It's yeah. always very fast. And and there's, like when you, I was told this by a geologist, there's, there's you can't actually look for gold, there's no way to look for gold directly, but they have something called a halo effect, when there are a number of different things that are there, then mm. you get enough... That, that, that gives you enough high, high enough probability that there's probably also gold there. Right. So I'm trying to do the same thing right now. The most obvious thing in the press right now is what's going on with with GameStop and and, and yeah, and we'll get to that stops. a little bit later. But yeah, but and so but there are there are other things in the markets that I like to look for things outside of the market that I'm looking at um, for evidence that there's going to be a top. Sure. So let's go through some of those, right? And I'd, I'd like to start with another kind of, <laughs> you know, as you were saying, things move very quickly. Another one that fits in line with that and kind of a hot topic right now, which is cryptocurrency and specifically Bitcoin. Um, I'd love to just kind of hear your thoughts on 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 what's going on with the price action there and, and where you think that's going to go and what that represents for the, the market as a whole. Right, right, right. Well, the thing with, with Bitcoin is, and it's, sometimes, it's in some ways outside of the discussion of a mania, only because... There's a very short history, mm -hmm. and to me, when I look at, at a mania, I look at things that that is removed in in two dimensions. Okay, is where is it in terms of its relative its relative value to other assets, mm -hmm. and where is it relative to its history? So you can see cycles in the, in the markets. You can see that the Nikkei was exploding relative to its its history and was completely stretched. Mm -hmm. Now we can look back at the 2000 market and and the 2007 market. And look at the valuations currently and say, okay, this fits other other peaks. Right. You can't really do that with Bitcoin. <laughs> sure. There's no value to it. I mean, and it, there's there's. I'm not going to say it's worthless. I don't want to say that, give that impression. It's a market, and it's more of a commodity than anything else in the sense that it's determined purely by supply and demand. Actually, I take that back. <laughs> it's it's it is determined by supply and demand, but mm -hmm. it's it's overarching value right lately or through its history has been right. based on on credit availability. Mm. So with the Fed pumping in all this liquidity, right. you've got no problems at all and it's going up. And, mm -hmm. and so so it's tethered, I think, it's not tethered to interest rates. There's no there's no yield that you know that doesn't pay an interest rate. So right. it's not so that's where I push back on people that say it's a currency or an alternative to the dollar. Sure. Um, it's could be a, considered an alternative to gold because neither of them have an interest rate. Right. And but gold has had lasting value over Millennium. Millennium. Yeah. A long centuries. time. A long time. More than decades. Yeah. So, and you know, we've, we've had ten years. I think in uh, uh, about ten years for for Bitcoin. Right. It's been a heck of a ride. Um, but that's the whole thing. It it really could it go to three hundred thousand tomorrow? It really it I mean, could. It could. Yeah. It, it could. Really could. There's nothing saying it can't. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying there's no true intrinsic value yet. Perhaps right, when sure. when you probably know more about this than I in terms of like when you think that um, you know we'll see. Um, 
payment structure starts exactly. to shift to that kind of model. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I think the main problem right now with it is it's so energy intensive. I mean, I saw a graph and we were discussing this the other day. Uh, this was like two, three years ago when, well, probably in 2018 when it was moving like crazy the first time. Um, and it showed this graphic that, that said a Bitcoin transaction is about, I think it was 20,000 times more energy intensive than a credit card transaction. So that's just not sustainable from a you know global scale perspective, from you know a day to day. The transaction volume obviously is growing and it's going to continue to grow as population continues to grow and more and more people get access to digital payments and things like that. So, and you know cash transactions become less frequent. So you know with that model, you're just not going to see Bitcoin able to to flourish because it's just it's too energy intensive. But if we can find a way to get that down uh, and make it slightly more sustainable from a you know computational standpoint. Then it, it could very well um, replace a lot of these, you know, standard payment rails that you've you've seen used um, throughout the retail world and, and e-commerce and, and you know day-to-day -day transactions in the future. But it's difficult to say when. I mean, I know their banks are already kind of playing around with blockchain and Bitcoin-esque things right now. So, I mean, it could be sooner than we think, actually. But but honestly, I, I don't know. <laughs> right. It's a tough question to answer. Right. Is the point right? Right. Yeah. right. And 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 in terms of the purposes for this discussion, can we say? that Bitcoin going up nine times in nine months is part of this mania. I'd say it's part of the credit creation sure. that, the Fed, that the Fed has, uh, I guess what you want to say, unleashed. But um, that is the real reason behind what's going on with value, distorted valuations in stocks. Sure. And in fact, yesterday, the first question that Powell had, uh, Chairman Jerome Powell of the Fed, um, yesterday after their January meeting, the first question was about, do you think GameStop is a function of your policy, and also the incredible increase in housing prices since the pandemic. Right. And he said no. Which sounds not right, yeah. <laughs> for lack of a more eloquent way of saying it. Well, last time I checked, interest rates do have something to do with housing prices, but I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, they're and called, the they're called creditors. mortgages, for those who didn't yeah. make that link immediately. But... <laughs> Um, okay, well, actually, why don't we talk about GameStop then? Because, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, that's been at the top of all the headlines and at the top of, any, of everyone's mind recently, right? And just for those who don't know, basically what happened was, uh, you know, a series of online forums, namely Wall Street Bets on Reddit, decided that they wanted to push up the price of GameStop stock, even though GameStop itself is, you know, not necessarily a particularly impressive company from a growth perspective, <laughs> um, to say the least. And they basically, you know, increased the value by a factor of what, almost 20 times in about the last month or so? In the last month. Yeah, yeah in the last yeah, month, yeah. Uh, which is, you know, crazy, period, for any stock, let alone GameStop, um, who didn't really come out with any impressive earnings or anything to, to spark any of this. I mean, they had good e-commerce growth, but, you know, that's about it. But point is, the, the reason why a lot of these people wanted to do this, because they, they singled out a lot of hedge fund managers who had very strong and very highly leveraged short positions, and basically just kind of wanted to hurt a lot of those people basically through, through I guess, what could be called uh, a mass concerted effort to, <laughs> I mean, manipulate the market effectively. I mean, that's, yes, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so now you have situations where, you know, GameStop is sitting ridiculously above the value that it probably should have given, given the stock itself and the, the company itself rather. And uh, you have a lot of hedge funds that have lost billions and billions of dollars um, and I guess, you know, what I'd love to hear is, is where do you think this goes? You know, what, what happens? Right. It's a really important thing. And I, actually, I want to take a step back because at, at first I was very dismissive of them 
and them uh, being kind of Robin Hood uh, day traders, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was almost like they called re- you know there's institutional people always look down on on retail investors mm-hmm. and they call it smart money versus they actually have a phrase in, in financial literature in, in terms of parlance. Like I'm sure they talk about it. On, if I ever watch CNBC, I'm sure they talk about this all the time. But they talk about smart money and dumb money. Mm-hmm. So it's really pejorative. Right. Um, but I, I did have that attitude. I, my first impression was okay. This is exactly like another tie-in to the, to the 2000 top because sure. you had people quitting their jobs who didn't know anything about trading, making a ton of money day trading, mm-hmm. and saying that because things were, were only going up. Yeah, so yeah. they were buying like crazy, and then they went bust. They were part of sure. the reason why the, when the Nasdaq went down eighty percent, they lost everything, including Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he um, uh, he's an interesting interesting case. The uh, so anyway, so so when. I was looking at this. I said, "Okay, fine. This is going to be temporary. This is just a bunch of of, of idiots who don't know anything. Who are you know what you call uh, you know, bull market geniuses? Sure. And when things get normal, they'll go away. Right. Yeah. And and there are a lot of parallels to the two thousand from, from that respect. But then you know I was thinking with the obvious comparison with the mob because it, it got it got to the point where. It became cultural. It was like saying we're going to stick it to the hedge funds. Right. It's been people have been calling it class warfare on Twitter, and frankly, I mean, it's not a bad term for right, it. Right. 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 So again, I was equally dismissive, saying this is a lunatic fringe. This is just like the mob on January sixth. They're going to go too far, and it's going to be a watershed event, mm-hmm. and they're going to get shut down, and sure. then everything else is going to be fine. Right. But then today, um, someone that we know read me a. Um, uh, a piece from Reddit, a, mm-hmm. a, a piece that got that got 117,000 likes within like you know 30 minutes or something. Right, and it was a really impassioned plea against um, the hedge fund managers that are shorting these stocks, talking mm-hmm. about how they're doing illegal things, how they manipulate the market. Right, and you know, when it, things come from the heart like that, these things can last. And right, this really it's is, emotional. It's not financial. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, it's it's endemic of what we're doing at PAVE. I mean, we're of trying, course, yeah. this is completely due to the fact that there's an insane wealth gap. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of frustration out there and I mean, just exactly like you said, right? I mean, we, we get it. Like that's, that's why we're doing what we're doing and why we're, we're building the business that we're trying to build, right? We, we see the chasm between, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, the haves and the have nots. And, you know, we want to make sure that, that everybody has access to the kind of things that historically, you know, the, the ultra wealthy and the institutional investors, as you, as you mentioned before, um, have access to, but obviously, you know, this movement is is much bigger than Pave, and as much as Pave wants to be a part of the solution, you know, there's there's so much happening outside of you know anything that we could we could control or, or contribute to. So, where do you think this goes? How does it resolve? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. It can it can it can resolve in a few different ways. In terms of affecting the market, I think it's going to affect the market by having Congress look at this. And of course, they're worried always about how do they get reelected, mm-hmm. and they're going to say, "We need to raise taxes." Right. And it's not just the Democrats; it the GOP, the constituency of the of the of the GOP, the constitution of the, of that party has changed so much over the past couple of years due to yeah. Trump. Yeah. Uh, that it's going to be a very receptive view. Before, like the Republicans, who are always going to be concerned about not raising taxes. That was right. always their, right. their deal. Yeah. And in fact, that's why. George W. Bush was a, uh, I'm sorry, Herbert Walker Bush was uh, a one-term president. Mm-hmm. I mean, he got elected saying, read my lips, no new taxes, and he raised taxes. <laughs> right, right. But that's also the, the whole issue of, of, of mania is things get pushed to an extreme and they have to resolve. 
in financial markets, you tend to have it have it break. I'm, I'm hoping that we have a little bit more leeway in terms of our social fabric that we don't see the anger spill over into something that's a little bit um, more dramatic. Right. Uh, but they, but there's a reason for the pain and there's a reason for the frustration and it has to be addressed. And if I, if I had to say, what is the one thing that's created the wealth gap? It's the Fed. There's no question. Easy interest rates mm-hmm. have kept money in financial assets and outside of productive assets right. that where, where people can get employed. Mm-hmm. And that has to change. Yeah. I mean, it's true, right? I mean, we, we touched upon this in our last podcast, but it's, <laughs> I mean, all the new information that's been coming out in terms of, you know, employment numbers and, and consumer sentiment and things of the sort, right, just kind of exacerbate the point, which is that the everyday kind of economic conditions for most people in this country and what's going on in the stock market don't match. Right. Um, right. And, and they are going to have to kind of come closer together at some point because uh, they can only, you know, stay this far apart for so long. Right, right. Actually, that's a very interesting point. I hadn't thought about it until you said this, but um, it's almost like the people on Main Street that were not kind of, you know, part of the party on Wall Street have tried to crash the party in, in, in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's, it's very true. And, and I think you, you're seeing that people are kind of fed up with the way things are been and they're, they're really pushing for change and um, they have every right. I mean, they should be upset. They want to be included. <laughs> yeah, they, they should be upset and they should be included. So I do want to circle back to something that we were, you were touching upon earlier, which was basically the idea of there are a lot of things outside of the stock market, right, the equities markets that give you a good indication, that halo effect as you were referring to, of what's going to happen within stocks and within you know the broader market. So I'd love to just give you the floor to, to talk about some of those things. Yeah, let me just tick off a couple of things. One is actually within the stock market, uh, I like to look at insider activity. I think we've talked mm-hmm. about it a couple of times. Yeah. And the amount of, of insider selling is... Um, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a danger level in a sense that there's, you would think that because of anybody buying stocks right now, today, mm-hmm. or next week or next month, sure. there have to be buying into the whole view that the economy is going to be opening up well and there's going to be this pent-up demand. Mm-hmm. And that's what's driving a lot of the enthusiasm. So these insiders see the order books, they, you know, they see all the flows, they know what the, what's going on with their customers, and they know all the, all the contracts that are being lined up. Right, the pipeline. And for financials and healthcare, those in those sectors, they're buying. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's that's not unhealthy, but everybody else is not, and, and conspicuously absent from the buying are, are executives in airlines, hotels, and casinos. Those stocks are really depressed. It, it makes it, it makes no sense for them seeing what they're seeing with a stock that low not to not to add to their holdings, and they're not doing it. Right, and that speaks volumes. Basically, what you're saying is. Given the economy opening up properly, you'd, you'd assume people would start spending more on travel and leisure. So the stocks in that area, given how low they are right now, you'd expect insiders at those companies to be buying up those stocks kind of hand over fist. Yeah, they know those businesses better than anybody right. else. And and you have Wall Street analysts saying buy the stocks, but the insiders aren't buying. <laughs> Which basically makes you think that those insiders are not so convinced that the economy is going to open up as smoothly as a lot of people think. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And the stock prices right now fully reflect the best possible situation. Sure. Which is the mark of the top. Right. 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 All right. So then let's take a look at, at you know, the other asset markets. So we have commodities, fixed income, and uh, uh, and currencies. But we can, I can just tick off a couple of things quickly. In commodities, I, I like to look at economically sensitive commodities, mm-hmm. not corn. Um, I like to look at crude and copper. Sure. All right. So 
crude uh, so obviously has industrial uses as people open up manufacturing increases mm -hmm, greater mm -hmm. demand for for crude of and course. gasoline right and then copper is very tied to construction right okay so what i look at is not only the prices but i look at the forward curves and the futures markets without getting too technical um, but the forward curves in these markets are saying they've been rising like crazy since the pandemic since the bottom and now they're giving signs of topping they haven't definitively turned yet but they're starting to in fixed income i look at a similar spread i look at the two-year versus 10-year security mm -hmm. the treasury security mm -hmm. and so what that is is you look at what the interest rate is now mm -hmm. on the two-year yep so the note that it, that's maturing in two years versus a longer-term note the 10-year note and in fact the federal reserve uses this indicator as basically it's it's that only indicator is what is driving their recession model. Like people always right. think of what the Fed's recession model is saying. That's what it is. It's a, two, <laughs> it's a twos versus tens. So it's been rising. And now I'm getting, my models are getting giving me strong topping signals and it's starting to turn over a little bit right now. Sure. But so that's also saying there's a little bit of a concern in these two markets. Mm -hmm. And the dollar markets are also saying the same thing. The dollar's been coming off because of, of um, whenever there's growth, the dollar's a low-risk currency, mm -hmm. low-growth currency. So they have, tend to go... Money tends to go toward emerging markets. Exactly, especially like the Mexican peso, Brazilian real, right. two great examples of sure. it. And those markets have been, the real and the peso have gotten very strong. And just recently I've started to get um, reversals. Right now I've got reversals for a stronger dollar on the daily and the weekly model, not quite yet the monthly. But those are very strong signals because when tur currencies turn, they turn for quite some time. Okay. If the dollar's getting stronger versus these currencies, the economies of the globe are not getting stronger. Right. And I want to make one final point about manias, um, because in 2000, we had things break a little early in 99, some sectors, but the big indices like the NASDAQ and the, and, and the S&P specifically topped in March of 2000, came off a little bit and then popped back up in, in October. So, mm -hmm. so basically seven months later, you're looking for, I mean, things were rolling over, but the, the general indices were, were going higher, uh, were, were, were topping out, but they, everything looked fine. Right, but it was beneath the surface that things were, were happening, Churning, and then he had yeah. a big, a big drop. Same thing happened in in two thousand seven, and this whole view that I have, that everybody has, that you can never tell when a top is happening, it keeps people in for fear of of missing, missing out. out. Yeah, and it might be a situation where we could be talking three three months from now, um, where I, I do think we're going to start seeing something in the next few months, uh, but the general indices might be fine. But like right now, I'm seeing the Brazilian stock market. I'm seeing the, the minerals, the metals, and, and, and uh, mining index roll over. Um, gold is starting to roll over. Uh, so I'm starting to see some some cracks already. Right, right. So things are breaking, but the floodgates haven't opened quite yet. Is basically what you're saying. <laughs> right, right. And the way we'll play it is we'll start going short things as they as they turn. Sure. Right. Yeah. In a in an incremental fashion, that makes a lot of sense. So I think the the key takeaway here, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that we might continue to see the stock market and, and the general market, you know, progress the same way that it's been progressing for the last few months into the foreseeable future. But the fact of the matter is we're already kind of starting to see chinks in the armor and, and kind of, you know, cracks in the dam that are, uh, for lack of a better you know way to put it, kind of structural damage to the system, basically. That's, and, a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And, and once, you know, enough of those things go, we're going to see things reverse potentially very negatively, also potentially very quickly. Yeah, I have to say, I've seen this movie before right. over the last 40 years, and it doesn't end well. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you so much to everyone who stuck around to the end. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Make sure to uh, subscribe if you you know want to keep up to date on the latest episodes that we put out. And feel free to email me with any questions or any comments you have about the podcast. My contact information is up on our website, payfinance.com. And you can also DM us through any of our social media platforms, whether that be you know Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, whatever your preferred platform is. So once again, thank you so much. And we look forward to having you tune in next time.